Broadcasting from the business capital of the world, this is the Podcast Business News Network. Hey, welcome back, everybody. This gentleman has vast knowledge on many of the things that we may wonder about or things that are incredibly important to all of us. And sometimes we don't realize the, the importance of them, but it is our environment, our world. He is a geography educator, has been for many years at Shippensburg University, and he is our diamond of the decade. This guy has so much knowledge. Last time we talked about weather, we talked about global warming. We're going to look at the economic se- section of our our world and also uh, our food supply chain when we get together once again with William C. Rents. William, welcome back. How are you? I'm fine. Thank you very much. And out here in Colorado, we're contemplating possibly a big snowstorm on Saturday. You know, it's funny you should say that because I was lying in bed over the weekend. I was staring out the window and there was a couple of flurries and I was like, yeah, it'll be nice to get a storm. We haven't had one here in the New York area uh, at least 700 days, at least that, you know, a little dusting about two weeks ago, but that's it. How much snow are you uh, looking looking for there in Colorado? Well, my rule of thumb in a snowstorm is I never count the inches until they're on the ground mm-hmm. because... A slight shift in the storm track of 50 or 100 miles can make the difference between a foot of snow and an inch of snow. Uh, this storm, however, which is three days out, has the potential to give where I live up in the mountains a, approximately a foot of snow. Wow. Okay. You just reminded me, it was a running joke back in the day that I would, and I've done radio forever, but I would, I would talk on the air uh, if I heard that, you know, maybe there's a snowstorm or just getting prepared every time. And a listener called me out on it. Every time I take out my shovel and be prepared for anything, <laughs> we get a lot of snow. So uh-huh. <laughs> if I want snow, I guess I should break out that shovel and just put it in front of the garage. I don't know. Uh, I don't know either. Maybe you break out the shovel because the forecast looks really positive for snow. So you put the shovel out. Yeah, and then we get none. <laughs> Never know what's going to happen. Like you say, don't count it until it's until it's here. Uh, you know, that being said, why don't we talk about, let's pivot over to our food supply. Uh, because with the winter months, we don't have farmers growing as they normally would. But overall, in terms of farming, uh, what's your overall take on that? Well, the fact is that farming is really dependent on, on the weather and the soil. Those are the two factors that play the biggest roles. There are many other things, too, like invasion from insects mm. and, and, and so forth. And back in the Bible, you can remember the mentioning of the uh, uh, plagues of locusts that would come in because locusts would literally eat all of the crops and leave people starving. Uh, climate change, as uh, is going on now, but global warming, is obviously going to impact agriculture because uh, crops depend upon uh, energy from from the sun and from the heat in the air. They depend upon water supply, which comes from the soil. And as the climate warms up, there will be changes in these matters, which in some places may lead to better crop production, and in other places will lead to poorer crop production. Um, And what the overall impact on the world will be, uh, I can't say. When we talk about the insect situation, uh, what are your thoughts there? I'm in the New York, Long Island area, and there was a a moth that was showing up 
last year that people were worried about. I, I, I happened to take a picture of it. Um, very invasive. It was gray colored and had uh, red uh, around its head or its body. I can't, I can't think of the name of it. Mm. It's escaping me at the moment, but uh, very, very challenging, very troubling, at least in these parts. Um, is the insect thing uh, a, of concern around this country? In, insects are, have always been a concern since the dawn of civilization. Uh, as I said, the Bible refers to infestations of locusts, which yes. eat up all the crops. So agriculture has always been vulnerable to insects. Uh, insects, in some some cases, are related to weather conditions. In other situations, an insect infestation is random, and in other situations, insects return at a certain uh, time period. Uh, for instance, I think that uh, uh, what is it there in the east? Uh, it's every, it's every 17 years or something. Mm-hmm. But all they do is make noise. They don't eat up anything, I don't believe. Uh, so, uh, that, and global warming might make infest, infest, insect infestations worse in some area and may mm. have little or no effect or positive effect in other areas. Interesting. And, and, and as you talk about the, the locusts, um, I remember as a kid, when they swarmed, I was in elementary school, but as a kid, you know, you hear these things and it was actually scary for me be- yeah. because you don't know what's going on. You're a kid. You're like, what, 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 yeah. what, what, um, now, you know, n- not so much. It's, you know, they just come back, they swarm. By the way, I remembered the name of the moth, the spotted lanternfly. Oh, that one, I don't know. Uh, when I was living in Pennsylvania, we had an infestation uh, of an insect. It was like a moth, and I can't think of the name of it right now, and I should, but what it would do is it would eat the, the leaves off of uh, vegetation, off of trees and off of shrubs, mm. and it could be really devastating. Uh, would that have been the, the silk moth? Gypsy moth. It the, was gypsy. the gypsy moth. The gypsy, the gypsy moth. moth. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and as you said that, it clicked in my head, and that in, in these parts... Um, it made a comeback, and I think it also did in other areas, like maybe Wisconsin. It came back, yeah, yeah. Wow. Uh, and now I just remembered why the um, that lantern fly, which was beautiful, like I said, it had spots. It was gray. It was black. It was red. Um, it is uh, a, a moth, really. They call it a fly um, that destroys certain trees and, and grapevines. And on the eastern end of Long Island, we have like. 15 wineries. So very impactful. Uh-oh. Yeah. Very yeah. worrisome. Yeah. Wow. No, that would be, uh, uh, that would be, that would be bad. It's one thing if your rose bushes get eaten up, it's another thing if a, uh, something generating money and jobs and, and, yeah. and, uh, you know, livelihood gets yep. eaten up. And that's what these, these moths, uh, would actually target. Um, what, what about pesticides? What are your overall thoughts on that while we're talking about the food supply? Like, let's put it this way, like all human endeavors, pesticides are good and bad. The good part of a pesticide is that it can get rid of uh, insects that eat the crops and uh, uh, can cause damage. But the side effects of pesticides are that they can damage good insects or benign insects. And so it's very, you have to be very careful 
when you ap apply pesticide, just enough to get the bugs that you're after, but not so much that you'll kill off everything. Hmm. So it's uh it's not an easy it's not an easy balance there, uh, but pesticides certainly are having having an effect on uh, uh, on the environment. But the op the op option is you have a great reduction in agricultural production if you don't control the insects, the bad insects. Hmm. And the pesticides, what, where, what, chicken or the egg? You know, it's like, do you, do you control the insect population or do you use pesticides? On, and, and what about organic pesticides as well? Now, I do not know the so-called organic pesticides. I don't know. I presume that what these are, they're designed not to have an impact uh, on the general insect population. They must be designed to have an impact on one kind of insect or something, and they don't. Maybe they don't hang around in the environment. Some pesticides, I think, remain in the soil for years. Uh, I think they break. The organic one would break down quickly and wouldn't remain in the environment very long. But I don't know anything about them. I'm only speculating. Gotcha. So uh, we did talk about livelihood, especially you know uh, the grapes. Uh, in, in yes. these parts here in that lanternfly. The economic situation, speaking geographically, overall thoughts, umbrella thoughts on that? Well, uh, in what way do you mean the economic impacts on agriculture or, or, or uh, society as a whole? Uh, let's start with society as a whole. Insect, insect populations... Just a large number of insects, and more, more or less, are more of a nuisance, but they can spread diseases, and that is probably where they have the most direct impact on human beings if you exclude uh, agriculture, is that they can spread disease. You know, I didn't even think of that, to be very honest with you. My, my immediate thought is it, it destroying uh, the crops, but I didn't think about the disease part. Oh, it's very, very serious. Uh, malaria, for example, if you go to some parts of the world, you have to take malaria shots, and I believe malaria is spread by mosquitoes. Uh, and uh, there's something else that's spread by insects that's bad off the bat, and I can't, I can't think of it. My mind, I'm afraid, is not functioning at high efficiency today. <laughs> no, no, but you know what? Thanks for the reminder, because, yeah, as you say that, yeah, of course, malaria and mosquitoes. Wow. Yeah. Mm. And of course, I think yellow fever is also spread uh, by an insect, uh, and then there there are uh, other other diseases also. So uh, that that's that's how they would affect humanity uh, most directly. I think is through the spread of disease. If we were to look at the economic situation of this country as a whole, and I'm not, I don't want to you know we don't have to dig into politics and. Uh, you know, from a from a geographical standpoint, what comes to mind for you? You know, concerns that you may have. I mean, overall overall concerns. Sure. Well, first of all, I'm going to bring up a to the topic of overpopulation. Human beings mm. require energy, food. We create pollution. The more people we have, the more we're going to impact the environment. And, of course, 
you need a certain number of people in order to effectively have a functioning economy. But if you get too many, then you start damaging the earth environmentally, and then you start getting more poverty because there may not be enough money to spread around evenly. And that could lead to a situation where in the past, you know, 90% or 10% of the people had 90% of the wealth. And if you get too many people, you may see wealth beginning to concentrate toward the top. Uh, so I think overpopulation, because of its impact on the environment, every single one of the environment in one way or another, and uh, that is the, uh, so I'd say overpopulation is the first thing that I would mention. Mm. Now has something like 8 billion people, I don't remember the exact number, and you, I asked myself, I said, supposing we only had 5 billion, would the world be better off? And I would say probably so. We would not be consuming resources as fast. We would not be producing as much uh, pollution, and so we would be better off. Wow. You know, I haven't heard overpopulation spoken in concern in quite some time. Wow. Back in the, back in the 19th, I think in the 1960s or, or after the 1970s, when the environmental movement was started, there was a lot of focus and attention on population numbers and overpopulation. But that's all died out, and I don't know why, because it's still there. And as far as I'm concerned, that is the fundamental underlying issue behind all environmental and economic uh, subjects. Overpopulation. Uh, yeah. Wow. Uh you know, we, when we we speak of overpopulation, many times it's it's addressed in in other countries, uh, a lot of Asian countries. Um, you don't hear it so much in relation to the United States. What are your thoughts there? Well, first of all, let me say jokingly, but with the truth, that people have been predicting doom and gloom because of overpopulation since the nineteenth century. So you have to understand that the number of people by itself is not necessarily uh, not necessarily a problem. But at some point, you cross a threshold. And people have been saying, oh, it's disaster, oh, it's doom. And yet we keep producing, the economies get better, people have higher birth sta- living standards. Uh, and so the attempt comes to a point where you begin to dismiss concern over population because these predictions have been wrong for so long. Uh, Thomas Malthus, who was an economist back in the 19th century, uh, predicted a, a scenario in which, in those days most people lived by agriculture, in which he predicted that uh, food supply would go up, population would go up, population would exceed food supply, then the population would crash and would have a series of cycles of this. And it was his predictions about overpopulation that led to economy, ec- economics being called the gloomy science. Uh, well, Malthus is totally wrong. And the people that have been predicting overpopulation problems ever since have been wrong. But at some point, it's going to come true. Wow. That's why it's important to look at it. Wow. <laughs> Just even to hear that at some point, that's going to come true. And uh, would it be in our lifetime? I would say maybe uh, uh, 
I'm an, I'm an older person, so not in my lifetime, but for a young person, it's possible that we could reach that stage. Uh, I'm not uh, at a so, so knowledgeable that I can step forth and make a prediction like all the others before me who have been wrong and say, oh, this is the year. There was a famous book that came out some years ago called Famine, uh, 19... I think it's, I forget if it was Famine 1976 or Famine 1984, something like that, in which it predicted that uh, food supplies would run short and there would be starvation beginning in India and other places, and that would cause riots and war and so forth. Well, whatever year that book was predicting, India produced a food surplus that year. <laughs> wow. So, so you can see, what was, it, what was the name? Famine? Oh, gosh. I thought I'd never forget that. Uh, but you, you could probably find it if you type in famine in book or something. Uh, and uh, that's that's been the problem. There have been constant mispredictions of the effect of growing population. The point I make is, at some point, however, it's going to have to come true because the world is finite. What do you predict? And, uh, you know, this is very loose. There's so many, so many variables. But in 50 years from now, what do you think are going to be some of the top, well, let's call it the top three things of concern, geographically speaking? I would say that in 50 years, one of the issues will be a diminish of some common resources, uh, which will force the development of alternatives or perhaps force uh, differences in uh, world e economics and lifestyle. Uh, for example, if we continue to produce oil and natural gas at the rate that we have been producing them, probably in 50 years the amount of oil and natural gas that would be developed and produced would be much reduced, which means that the price would go up. But we are already beginning to take steps to change to alternative uh, alternatives. Uh, uh, we're beginning to shift away from fossil fuels and beginning to develop other sources of energy. And so uh, we haven't really reached the crisis yet, and the amount of coal that is available is still quite large. Uh, but coal is one of the most polluting of the fossil fuels. Wow, I didn't know that. Yeah, it produces more carbon dioxide uh, per, per BTU, which is a measure of energy, uh, I think, than the other fossil fuels. And, of course, it produces a lot of ash, which needs to be be caught and and uh, controlled. Plus, it has some other environmental impacts. So it is a, it's a dirty fuel, and it, it's expensive to control it. And, of course, so, but the carbon dioxide is still being emitted directly into the atmosphere. One reason that the amount of carbon dioxide produced in the United States has been declining is because we've been shifting away from coal-fired power plants. What's, what do you think is the, the most reasonable way to heat our homes now? Is it, is it gas? Is it oil? What are your thoughts? I would say that the, the way to do it with the least environmental impact is probably through electricity. And what, now, electricity has to be generated somewhere. It can be generated by burning a fossil fuel. It can be generated by using nuclear. It can be generated by using various uh, renewable resources like solar and wind. Uh, 
so, but uh, for example, even if you're burning a fossil fuel, if you had that in one central, it would be easier to control the uh, uh, the emissions than it is from having thousands of houses. So I would say probably the least environmental impact would be uh, by heating our homes with electricity, which is currently very expensive. I know because my house is all electric. Is it really? Yep. Wow. Um, interesting. I Here in the state of New York, if I remember correctly, they just passed a law that will ban all gas stoves in the next 10 years. You won't be able to buy one. Yes, that's... Uh uh, I think that's going on in other places too. And why do you think that is? You know, gas is is just not the most efficient way to heat, or has uh, you know challenges. I think, I think the idea is pollution to cut down the burning of, of fossil fuel of natural gas. Now, natural gas is much cleaner than some of the other fossil fuels, which is one reason it's been used so much in in houses. It doesn't produce a lot of pollutants, but it does produce carbon dioxide. Right. Uh, and so I think the idea is to reduce the amount of fossil fuel that's being burned overall. Ah, gotcha. Okay. Uh, now, the costs of this are going to be enormous. Imagine if you have a perfectly good gas stove in your house, and you have to get rid of it years before it wears out and buy a new electric stove. That in in itself, but if you now you have to use an electric stove, even though you may have gas coming into your house, which is kind of interesting. Um, And and I and this is just my I'm far from the expert, but the gas the stove you're burning a lot more in terms of the gas to heat your home than you are in that kitchen. Oh, absolutely. Uh, that's one reason that the gas stove in your kitchen is not ventilated, but your gas furnace is ventilated because it's burning so much more gas. Uh, and so the, the big savings in energy use in the house is heating in the winter and, if necessary, air conditioning in the summer. That's where a lot of your, most of your energy goes to those two areas. But help me out understand this. Now, you know, these states are putting the laws in place where the gas stove would be banished. But again, how much of that is being used in terms of uh, the the pollution that it's it's making as opposed to uh, the gas that, I, and I know it's unvented, okay, but how much how much carbon dioxide are we really uh, just on a gas stove? Is it- now, I, I can't tell you, I don't know that number, but it's relatively small. Right, that's my point. So, the, the, In other words, as I said before, it is the heating and air conditioning of your house that is the big energy consumer. Yeah. Uh, and so that, if you're really looking at significant savings, that is what you need to look at. And, of course, there are proposals out there uh, to make, there is once, there's once, at least one city, I think it's in California, where no new construction can use natural gas for heating. It has to be electric. Say that again. (laughs) There's a city in California, I forget which one it is, and they recently passed a law that all new construction, buildings or houses, cannot use natural gas for heating. They have to use electricity. Interesting. And is the the footprint 
uh, environmentally better by using that electric? Well, theoretically, yes. If the electricity can be produced, for example, by solar or wind, then there's essentially no pollution at all. And if it's produced at a centralized power station, the pollution can be better controlled than it can be in thousands of scattered houses. Uh, So overall, that would produce uh, less, uh, less pollution. That's the thinking. Got it. Okay. Um, I, I just know that, uh, it's insanely expensive in terms of electric to do anything. Um, you know, let alone you, your bill must, if you had the choice, what would you prefer? Well, actually, uh, I can afford it. So I like electricity. It's quiet. Uh, it doesn't, it doesn't produce any pollution at all at my house. Although there's a power plant somewhere where pollutants are being uh, being produced. And so I've, uh, uh, I kind of like uh, the all-electric, but it's much more expensive right now than heating with natural gas. Got it. Yeah. Um, and, and, and there's other advantages, too. You know, your electric, it, it's not forced air, I would imagine, right? Uh, no. Now, there, you, can, you can have electric that's forced air. You can have a furnace that uses electricity instead of burning a fossil fuel, and then a fan blows the hot air through the house. Sure. What my house has is just simple baseboard uh, heating, but there are other methods of using electricity in the house, um, and there are there are ways in which uh, I think they use a ceramic of some sort, and during the night when electricity is generally abundant and can be priced at a cheap cost, mm. uh, the electricity heats up that those ceramics. And then during the daytime, when electricity is generally in greater demand, and therefore more expensive, you don't draw on any electric. Uh, the uh, heating systems use the uh, hot ceramics that were heated up overnight and to heat the air and then blow it into the house. Uh, that's a very simple uh, explanation, sure. but uh, that's, I know that that, uh, I've heard about those things, so I know that they, they exist. hundred uh, percent. And then, you know, again, looking at the force air, uh, there's some challenges with that. You have dust, you have dry air, then they, you have some homes that are using that. Then they have a humidifier, which uses more, that's obviously electric, to put the moisture back in if the air is so dry. Uh, then, of course, Solar. I mean, that's that's the answer there, but not all of us can do that. No, uh, there's a there's a house in my neighborhood that is absolutely perfect for solar. It has a big, broad roof facing directly south, and they have solar panels all over it. My house, uh, the roof design is not conducive to solar. I could put solar panels in some parts of the roof, but uh, probably not enough to. Uh, uh, to justify uh, justify it, but this one one house is absolutely perfect for it. And my if I had a house that was that perfect for it, I would install solar. Mm. Uh, I just looked at the time. I can't believe we're out of time. Uh, I could just keep going. We learn so much every time we uh, we get together with you, uh, William. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for shaping the minds of so many students over the years. And uh, and most importantly, thanks for being our Diamond of the Decade. It's always great talking with you. Thank you very much. Thank you. We are coming right back. Hang on. Hey, goodbye. Broadcasting from the business capital of the world, this is the Podcast Business News Network. 
Adopt US Kids presents What to Expect When You're Expecting. A teenager learning the lingo. Today I'm going to help parents translate teen slang. Now, when a teen says something is on fleek, it's exactly like saying that's rad. It simply means that something is awesome or cool. Another one is totes. It's exactly like saying totally just shorter. As in I totes love going to the mall with Becca. Another word you might hear is jelly. Jelly is a shorter better way to say jealous. As in Chloe, I am like so jelly of your unicorn phone case. You don't have to speak teen to be a perfect parent. Thousands of teens in foster care will think you're um rad just the same. To learn more, visit adoptuskids.org. A public service announcement brought to you by the US Department of Health and Human Services, Adopt US Kids, and the Ad Council.